This podcast is produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, and I think you are really going to like today's guest. Let me give you a little background on how I found Dr. G of Ask Dr. G, and that is Deborah Gilboa, and she is a medical doctor. And the way I found her is, uh, some of you, if you listen to the show regularly, you know next year my daughter will be a freshman at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh. So I put out sort of to my greater network, hey, I want to start interviewing some cool entrepreneurs in Pittsburgh, because that, as I've discovered because of my recent visit, is a very cool town that's doing a lot of neat stuff. And immediately, someone sent me an email and said, you have to know Dr. G if you want to know a cool entrepreneur in Pittsburgh. So I looked her up online, and she is a parenting expert. So she is the one to go to if you want to look at how to raise and educate respectful, responsible, and resilient young people. She also is a practicing medical doctor. She has a family practice in Pittsburgh. And before going to medical school at the University of Pittsburgh, she actually worked for Second City. She had a really interesting career before becoming a doctor. And one of the cool things is she actually did her undergraduate work at Carnegie Mellon University. So I assumed, of course, she had to be pre-med or maybe she was some sort of a science undergrad. And when I was talking to her about what she majored in, she majored in drama, and I thought that was so great because it's probably not every day your medical doctor had a background in drama. So I called her up on the phone. We had a great conversation, and I knew she had to be a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do because she is doing a lot of cool things. Dr. Deborah Gilboa, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Tom. <laughs> so people can find you online at Ask Dr. G. And that's D-O-C-T-O-R spelled out, but it's just the letter G. Just ask Dr. G. And when you Google you, you find you everywhere on all the social media outlets. You have great videos giving parenting tips. You have several books. Uh, you have your medical practice. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do these days because you're an author, a speaker, a doctor, and you're the mother of four young children. So I think sleep has been removed from your entire... <laughs> it is know. possible I get a little bit less sleep than I recommend to my patients. That's certainly <laughs> true. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your businesses. Absolutely. So as you mentioned, I am uh, the mom of four, and I actually have to say right off the bat, they would be very disturbed to hear you describe them as young children, but most of us would. They're six and eight and 10 and 13. Okay, young, and, young, young budding adults. Exactly. <laughs> um, and my work as a family physician, I work at a federally qualified health center. And so we see patients who speak 47 different languages who come from all walks of life. Wow. And it is fantastic. I would never want to give up my clinical time. It's such an honor to get to be a part of whole families' lives. I have some families where I see four generations in the same family. Wow. Uh, and in addition to my clinical practice, which I do part-time, I'm, I'm there about 40% time, I got the opportunity to start this business because I was going out and giving talks in our local community about health and wellness to help people understand about the health center and that we were around when we were just getting started. And people kept asking me to speak about parenting. And every time I would give a talk, somebody would say, hey, that was helpful. Do you have a book or a website? And I would say, no, come on down to the health center. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And eventually my husband said to me, why don't you have a book or a website? And I said, oh, well, you know, I don't know anything about that. And he said, sure, uh, I don't know anything about building computers, but I use one, you know. (laughs) So he encouraged me to look into it. And I'm so glad that he did because I have this amazing opportunity now to see individual families and get to know people really intimately in the office, but also speak to really large groups of parents and educators about this topic about which I am super passionate, which is what our kids are really capable of accomplishing as people of good character. So let's back up a little bit to sort of the early days when you went to college at Carnegie Mellon, you were uh, an undergrad in the drama department. I was, absolutely. So how did, let's, so, you know, you're a doctor today, but obviously in high school, you made a decision that you wanted to study acting. I wanted to study theater because that was such a passion and such a great way to reach people. And I had not really thought about medical school since, you know, some career day in first grade. So I went to Carnegie Mellon and I got my, I did something that was a little bit unusual. And I hate to say this to you as the the dad of a soon to be freshman, but I actually went through four years in the same school and the same major and finished in four years. So that's not a terribly common thing to do. (laughs) No, no, no. We're encouraging that. Right, exactly. But it's not all that common that it works out that way. And I went to a conservatory school, you know, Carnegie Mellon drama, you don't do a whole lot of classes in other departments. So I came out really well versed in theater and that was about all. One of the yeah. things when we think of Carnegie Mellon, you know, we think of it as like the number one computer science school in the nation, but it also has one of the top 10 business schools in the United States and one of the top ranked drama schools. It's true. Absolutely. The College of, Fine Arts, College of Fine Arts there is fantastic. And it was an amazing experience for me. And I have the opportunity each year now to go back and speak to the seniors, not about my life in theater, although I had one for the next six years, but about what it is I learned at Carnegie Mellon Drama that has served me well in each of my careers and as an adult. And I would say there are a lot of things, but really learning to have an amazing work ethic and think outside the box to problem solve, to work with people from all kinds of different fields has been invaluable to me in each of my endeavors. So after college, you went into the world of theater. Yeah, theater, television, and film. Um, Although mostly theater and television, I did what a lot of aspiring theater people do. I went out to Los Angeles because I got a job at the Santa Monica Playhouse And from there, I got hired at Deaf West Theater Company, and I learned some sign language. And then I, you know, the director there took me with him to Chicago, to the Organic Theater, and I uh, continued on. I joined Actors' Equity Association, and I started to earn a living, and I got a great gig, as you mentioned in your intro, at Second City Theater Company. And that was amazing because I was about 12 years younger than the next youngest person in the company there. And so here I was doing a job that I was maybe not quite ready for (laughs) and could not have learned more while I was there. And, And it was fantastic. But when I started to come to what I thought was the natural end of my arc of working there and looked around to see where could I go from there, what I realized was as much as I loved it, I maybe really wanted to be a doctor. So so that is so interesting to see that leap coming up, but backing up just one step without giving away your age, I sort of did the math and you had to have been at Second City Chicago at the time with some people who you don't have to name drop, but there were clearly some people there whose names we would know as quite famous. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was incredible. And it was such an amazing culture. It's really a world unto itself. Second City is great, not only for entertaining people, but for helping them think about their own reactions to the news, to relationships, to culture, and to challenging us 
in our interactions with other people to say yes more often than we say no. So you're, you're working in Second City and you have this theater and television career and all of a sudden you start thinking, huh, you know, I did all these plays and I've worked with all these production companies. I think human medicine would be where I want to go next. That's a natural transition. How did that, <laughs> how did that happen? You know, I- I had to convince a lot of directors of admissions at medical schools of the same question that you're asking me now. (laughs) What happened was I had spent some time right after university. In addition to working in theater, I was looking around and I met some fun people and I started to volunteer as a firefighter in Pennsylvania. And I got to know some volunteer EMTs and paramedics and (laughs) I went and got my EMT training. I'm going to stop you right here. Does everybody understand why I asked her to be on a show called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do? Just, you know, <laughs> after Second City, I decided I would be a volunteer firefighter. Well, it was, and it was before Second City, actually. It was while I was working more locally in Pennsylvania, and I really loved it. I loved driving the ambulance, and I loved going in when there was emergencies. It's a strange group of people that rush towards a burning building rather than away, and especially volunteer And it was this fantastic adrenaline rush, but also a great way to get to know more about myself and more about how the world works. And I really missed being an EMT as I started to travel the country for my theater work. And so as I thought about what I wanted to do, I really thought maybe I would be a paramedic. And I called some friends who were paramedics and said, I'm thinking about doing this. And they said, Deb, that's a terrible idea. You would not be any good at this. And I said, oh, no, why? And they said, because we worked with you and you were always trying to fix the system. You were always trying to implement change. And they said, go to medical school. Like, don't save yourself and us the aggravation. Just go be an emergency medicine doctor. And so one day when we were dark at Second City on a Monday, I called Northwestern's Medical School, which is just down the street from Second City, out of the clear blue sky. I just picked up the phone, looked up in the yellow pages, the phone number, and <laughs> called Northwestern's med school, got the admissions office and said, Hey, I'm thinking of applying to medical school. What do I need? And this woman said to me, a bachelor's. And I said, in what? Assuming that she would say science, maybe biology. And she said, college. (laughs) And I said, Oh, I totally have one of those. (laughs) Um, It's a bachelor of fine arts. So she went on to explain that I needed certain science classes as prerequisites So I enrolled in one at Northwestern. I enrolled in biology uh, just to kind of see what it was like. I didn't tell anybody at Second City. I just did it on my off time. And I really loved it. And so then you applied to medical school. Yeah. So then I actually, I had to quit at Second City and my boss there was really disturbed with me. He said to me, um, I can't believe you're, you're giving it up for the man, you know, as, as disappointed as my parents had been when I announced my intention to go into theater in the first place, my theater friends and, and bosses were just as disappointed in me as a person. <laughs> and, uh, and then I had to give it up entirely in order to prep because I did have to take chemistry and organic chemistry and physics and the MCATs and things like that. And I had spent some of my time while I was working in theater learning more about American Sign Language and studying the language. So when I took the science classes, I also picked up American Sign Language so that I could get a paying job. And I worked my way through the application process for medical school, but I supported myself as a sign language interpreter. And so then you went back to Pittsburgh to go to Pitt for medical school? I did, yes. And then obviously there's, what do you, what do you call it, internships or... Uh, residency. residency. So I, I thought I would go be an emergency medicine doctor, just like my friends had suggested. But what I found is, as much as I loved my emergency medicine rotation as a medical student, uh, was that I kept wishing I could jump in the Wayback Machine and meet these patients two or four or ten years earlier and convince them to wear a seatbelt or take a blood pressure medicine or exercise more and avoid the need for the emergency department altogether. And so it became clear to me, as I was doing my family medicine rotation 
that what I really wanted to be was a family doctor. So it seems like you've always had this entrepreneurial spirit because, you know, entrepreneurs, they, they, they take risks, they try new things, and they look for problems that need to be solved. And it seems like you've done that in every phase of your life. So you That's just, a really interesting way to think of it. I had not thought of it that way. So you just sort of naturally led into then once you were a practicing doctor, taking on other projects, the writing, the speaking, the, the consulting, the parenting expert. That just has always been sort of a little piece of who you are, that you're always taking on new things and solving problems. Yes? I am absolutely. And you know, you can hear it, right? I I kept up with my sign language, even while I was doing theater, and I was interested in being an EMT, even while I was doing something else. I love having, I love meeting people in different parts of life and taking on different roles to see, honestly, to see if I can do it and what I can learn from it. But the exciting thing about being an entrepreneur in the more structured way that I am now is that being an entrepreneur is the ultimate meritocracy. Um, You may not succeed, no matter how hard you work. But the harder you work, the more likely you are to succeed. So what do you love about this life of the entrepreneur that you've put together? Because you've stitched several things together to, to make your whole career go. What do you like about it? What I love about it is that if I'm not getting what I want from it, meaning if my business isn't reaching its goals, the problem is only as the solution is only as far away as my creativity. So if I feel like I'm not reaching enough people, then I need to think about a new way to reach people. If I feel like the people I'm reaching aren't hearing my message, then I need to just think about new ways to deliver that message. A a really good example of that is that I, I said that my boss at second city was dismayed that I would give up theater for medicine. One of the things that he jokingly said to me at my going away party was you'll be back. They all come crawling back. And I laughed. I said, you know, hey, Kelly, I'm not, I'm not going to you know, the theater down the street. I'm going to medical school. It's hard to see how I'd be back. And he said, whatever. Well, sure enough, about a year ago, he and I connected again and talked. And I went to see Second City and how it's grown tremendously in the time that I've been away. And he said, we should write a show together with ah. the parenting work that you're doing and the way that we reach audiences and help them learn new ideas through laughter. And we've created two shows that we're doing. They're called show shops, like workshops, but more entertaining. One is aimed at parents and educators, and it's called What's Happy Got to Do With It? And it is improv and music and games that the audience participates in as a way to think about what are we teaching kids today and how can we raise them to be really amazing people. And the other is aimed at college students and young adults. And that one's called How to Get Off the Drama Coaster, hashtag asking for a friend. And that one is to help with the skills of resilience and problem solving in ways that people don't usually think of solving problems. So that's just a whole other avenue. Again, I don't think a lot of medical doctors are out writing workshops and shows, you know, with comedy and laughter. So Absolutely. And getting that opportunity to perform with Second City 18 years later, 20 years later was really phenomenal. And now we're, we are selling that show around the country to universities and to parent groups and to independent schools and bringing these ideas in new ways to people that make them able to hear the message. And that's what I mean. If there's, if there's a problem that needs to be solved, the solution is always creative thinking and new relationships. Well, and that's my favorite thing about being an entrepreneur. And I loved when you said, you know, if I'm not reaching enough people, I find a new way to do it. One of the things, if you go out there and search Ask Dr. G, you're going to find all of your short two and three minute parenting tip videos on YouTube, some of which have huge amounts of, of click-throughs and watches. Yeah, it's interesting because I've never had one video go viral in the sense that all of a sudden someone's sharing it or millions of people are sharing it and you're getting millions 
millions of views in just a few days. But I've been lucky enough that the topics that people ask me about in the office are so ubiquitous. You know, my most popular video on YouTube is about um, kids masturbate. What do parents need to know? And, <laughs> and you know, this is not anything anybody wants to put on their own Facebook wall. But when you put it out there, everybody watches it. The most frequently asked question I get from parents is, until when is it okay to be naked around my kids? Like, when should I put some clothes on? Because it's easy to be naked around your baby. And most people don't walk around naked in front of their 16-year-old. But where's the break even? Right. So, <laughs> so it's the topics. One of the things that I've learned, I mentioned that we see patients who speak 47 different languages. They come from maybe 100 countries in my practice. One of the things that I've learned clinically is that no matter what your family looks like, no matter where you're from, what language you speak or culture you ascribe to, everybody struggles with parenting. Everybody wants to excel in this area and everybody has questions. And you would think after 4,000 years, we'd have that one figured out. Totally, right? <laughs> I, how is it possible that we haven't nailed this yet? <laughs> so, so you talked about what you love about being an entrepreneur, but come on, there's a lot of hard part when you're responsible for yourself. Do you ever wish you had more of just a traditional medical practice where maybe you worked for a big, a big hospital and you just went in for so many hours and went home? Yes, I do wish on occasion. You know, I went through a, a personal tragedy last fall. My mom passed away. And in the six or so weeks that she was at the critical part of her illness, I really just kind of kept my entrepreneurial business afloat, but didn't move it forward. And six months later, I'm seeing the result of that because as a professional speaker, a lot of my work is scheduled six or eight months out. So I can see now how if I was just in a traditional medical practice with systems in place and infrastructure, I would have plenty of patients booked. I do, as a matter of fact, I did have some time off from my clinical practice, and yet I'm not missing any patients these weeks. As a matter of fact, I have extra patients who needed to see me because I had to cancel for a few weeks. So I do sometimes miss that infrastructure that I said, however hard you work, that's your likelihood of succeeding. If there is a very good reason for which you can't work for a little while, you really feel it. Well, and especially, you know, I, I make most of my living as a professional speaker. And you are right. You're booking that six months out, a year out. And when you do go through sort of that, that cooling period on sales – you know, money still might be good because six months ago it rolled in, but then six months later you feel that, ooh, I didn't sell a lot in January, so therefore, you know, August is July is light. That's yes. Exactly, <laughs> that's exactly right. And so it's there's never a downtime when you're on that cycle of you sort of are the product and you always have to be selling the product and delivering the product. You don't ever get any downtime. And I agree, that's the one thing that sometimes gets to me as well. So Deborah, what advice do you have Normally, I ask people, what, do you, what advice do you have for someone who wants to start a business or be an entrepreneur? But, you know, your, your, your career is so eclectic. What advice do you have for somebody who maybe is going down one path and somehow wants to make a big leap to something else? So maybe they don't want to quit their job, but they want to take on, you know, an, another, another vertical that they cover. Or maybe they want to take some sort of a leap like, you know, theater to medicine. My advice is this. Figure out why. You have a passion for both. There are connections. I sat in 19 medical school interviews and convinced some very scientific, analytical, linear thinkers that my theater background prepared me well for a career in medicine. And it did, but not in any way that when you just glance at the surface was obvious. So look for the connections, look for the tie-ins, figure out what experiences you have had that have led you to have a passion for both things and use that to help other people understand 
your unique perspective and what is going to make you better able to bring them a product or a service or some information than someone who has a more traditional path. Well, and I think that is some of the best advice for anybody, no matter what field we're in. Sometimes we get so caught up that we're a box, we're so big, and we're blue. And the reality is, (laughs) you know, the reality is we're not. We're not one thing. We're not a certain shape or size. We can do anything we want to. And as, 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 you know, the Generation Xers, you know, start turning 40 and 50, respectively, depending which end of Generation X they are, I'm having a lot of conversations with people who want to reinvent themselves and somehow feel they can't do that. And yet, you know, some of the most famous people in history who've been huge successes never saw their success until they were in their 50s, their 60s, and their 70s, and they tried something entirely new. I mean, you know, they always talk about Colonel Sanders, you know, didn't start selling chicken until he was in his mid-60s, and, you know, probably there's, you know, few in fast food who've been more successful than he was during his lifetime. And, you know, same thing is true of so many people in so many different industries. But the other thing, I just read a study that the majority of entrepreneurial activity and the majority of success with entrepreneurs is happening with people ages 50 to 64. So sometimes we go through our life and we think, well, this is my path. I'm a lawyer or I'm a doctor or I'm a comedian or whatever it is. And that's all you can do. If there's something you want to do, you know, I think Dr. G is right. Just, you know, figure out what experiences you have are translatable and then go for it. I would also encourage people who are talking to young people Uh, You have a daughter who's college age. We spend a lot of time asking kids, what do you want to be? And I think it's a misleading question. I'm arguably on my fourth career, my third and fourth career. And I think a better question is either, what do you want to be first? Or what problem do you want to solve? Where's your passion? Because we don't want to give students the misguided impression that they have to pick now and that's it forever. That's the label they'll always hold. We see more and more that that's not the case and that they're not well served by that expectation. Well, and I think my father's generation, you know, my father passed away last year at age 99. And so, you know, he was born in 1914 and and lived until the very end of, of 2013. And he saw a lot of changes in the world. But one of the changes was he worked for the same company for 40 something years and, you know, retired with the gold watch. And, you know, meanwhile, you know, I was laid off five times in 10 years because of companies that went out of business because of a variety of, you know, different recessions over those 10 years. And then I went out and started my own thing that I've been doing now for six years. I mean, my career would look so foreign and did. I mean, he used to ask me, when are you going to go get a real job? You know, I I and a lot of the things that our kids will grow up to do don't exist yet. So how can they tell us now what they want to be when the jobs they have don't aren't jobs yet? Well, like I interviewed somebody recently and he has also has a podcast and he was telling me about a guest that he had and her job was she was a YouTube celebrity promoter. I mean, you know, I mean, that's a job. That's a thing. And, exactly. you know, it, it couldn't have even been a thing 10 years ago because there was no YouTube. And, and it may not be a thing 10 years from now. So I hope she is widening her skills all the time. It, it just cracked me up. I thought that that's a thing. But but the truth is, you're right. There are things that haven't been, you know figured out yet that will be really common careers and there'll be careers that we all think, oh, those are, you know, so common. That's what you should go study that will dry up and and go away. So I think you're right. And I love, I love the comment of what do you want to be first? 
because that is, you know, as I'm looking at, you know, working with all these Gen X people who are looking at how do I reinvent myself for the second half of my life, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that that's true. What were you first? That, that's And what do you want to be next? Yeah. I think as that, opposed to what do you want to be forever? I think that's fantastic. So have you had mentors along the way? I mean, obviously with three or four entirely different careers, you know, you've had so many diverse things going on. Who, who, who were your mentors? My mentors have been, I have been really blessed with some fantastic teachers, teachers who were ready to tell me the truth and hone my skills, but also respect my drive and my ambition. And so I'm supremely grateful to all of them. But I also find that it's wonderful to have some of, some of my most valuable business relationships now are accountability partners, people who are also entrepreneurs who are doing completely different things. And I might at some point have reason to work with them directly to hire them or have them hire me, but that in general, we share a passion for moving our own passions forward and a willingness to ask each other hard questions. What are you planning on doing next? Well, what about that thing you told me you were going to do that you've done nothing about? Where did that go? You didn't get this thing, so why didn't you get it, and what could you do better next time? So I have a lot more questions for you, Debbie, but first, I need to thank my sponsor. So this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. And how do I know that? Because I work with Podfly to produce cool things entrepreneurs do. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, the right training, and the guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so you can focus on creating great content and growing your audience and finding fantastic guests like Dr. Deborah Gilboa. If you want an exclusive offer from Podfly, for my listeners, just go to podfly.net slash cool things. So now let's get back to Debbie and ask her just a couple of more questions. Hey, I call this show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So I want to know what is the coolest thing that you're doing in your businesses right now? Well, I already talked about the Second City show, and it's hard not to think of Second City. As a matter of fact, when we first started talking about that project, what Kelly said to me was, you bring the expertise, we'll bring the cool. (laughs) But (laughs) And he's totally right. There's nothing cooler than Second City and the people who work there and the people who have worked there. But I would say right now that the coolest opportunity I have is I have started to work with an organization called Classroom Champions. Classroom Champions is uh, an organization that is international that puts current Olympic and Paralympic athletes virtually into classrooms in socioeconomically struggling elementary and middle schools. They have one athlete create a relationship longitudinally over the course of an entire school year with one classroom, you know, Ms. Smith's third grade classroom in Topeka, Kansas, and come in and have a Skype session with those kids once, sometimes even twice a month. There is a curriculum. Sometimes they're talking about healthy bodies or resilience or problem solving but really the point is for the students to get to know the athlete and their, that athlete's goals and challenges and injuries and failures and successes and competition. And for the athlete to get to know the students and their goals and successes and failures and challenges and to encourage each other and hold each other accountable. And the metrics that Classroom Champions is showing about these students improving their test scores their attendance and their love of school is so inspiring. I get to come into this organization and help them reach the caregivers of these kids, not the teachers. They do a great job reaching the teachers already, but to reach the parents, the grandparents, the aunts who are raising these kids 
by engaging past Olympians and Paralympians and having them do a curriculum with the caregivers of these kids in the classroom so that they can get support in their own raising of children. Wow, that is exciting. That is really cool stuff. You do so many different things. That is so great. So I always like to ask people, in addition to your own business, because we could talk about Ask Dr. G and all the things you're doing all day long, but I always think the best entrepreneurs are observers and they're watching what other people are doing. And so I always like to ask people, who's someone else you see out there in, in your community or in the business world that you think, wow, they're doing? cool stuff. Oh, there are so many people. Um, I, I have to say on the, the bigger front, there is a really cool initiative at the Clinton Foundation called Too Small to Fail. And they are working with parents to help them understand the value of talking to kids, reading to kids and singing to kids in zero to five to get them just the exposure to language that makes a huge difference, not only in reading level, but also in school, finishing school and job success. Uh, on a more micro level, there's a woman that I know, her name is Sharon Blumenfeld, and online she's momfluential, and she started a company called Hash Tracking, which is to help people dive deeper into understanding the power of social media and how individual entrepreneurs use social media. And she has just rolled out this really cool product for Instagram called Color Tracking that is to help people better understand how to get their message across, um, their very genuine messages across on Instagram using color. That's cool. It is. So the last question I ask everybody is, what do you do to give back to the greater good? Because, and you already do so much as a doctor in the programs that you're involved with. But I also think that in, in addition to being observers, great entrepreneurs want to do more than make money. They, they want to leave a mark. So what's something that you do or something else, I guess, that you do? So the effort that I feel goes most towards the greater good is that I encourage parents to get their kids involved in community service. And I don't just say, hey, you should get your kids involved in community service. I do everything from creating on my website a free download, downloadable guide about ways that kids from 18 months to 18 years can give back to their local community in ways that don't cost any money and are really easy and developmentally appropriate for them, to encouraging my own kids who have created a website to highlight the projects they've chosen to do and to encourage other kids uh, through a network called that we're a part of called kids are heroes and we use our membership in kids are heroes to find out what other kids you know, nine-year-olds 12-year-olds 15-year-olds are doing to make their communities and their causes a better place and promote those that is awesome so debbie thank you so much for being a guest on cool things entrepreneurs do i've had such a great time talking with you tom thank you so much for having me well and I'm, I'm excited that i think our paths will get to cross in person because i know that i'll be making lots of trips to pittsburgh as we get our daughters settled up there at Carne i'm counting on it at carnegie mellon and you know i wish i could say wow you are the first carnegie mellon person that i've actually had on the podcast however my daughter actually before she was accepted to cmu she was actually a guest on the podcast because she was one of the organizers for the TEDx Youth at Austin program. And so she was part of a committee that put on the big TEDx high school and middle school program here in our town of Austin, Texas. So I interviewed her about the project of what, what she and her teammates were working on. And then also a guest on episode number 66 was an entrepreneur here in Austin from a company, he's the CEO of a company in Austin called Datafinity. And he actually is a CMU graduate as well. So you're actually the, the second CMU graduate and the third person 
person uh, that's actually been on the show, but the first cool entrepreneur who's actually in Pittsburgh. And <laughs> I'm hoping to have a lot more because one of the things I want to do is get to know the Pittsburgh community. I want to meet a bunch of cool entrepreneurs who are up there. And, and I speak all over the country, and I've never given a speech in Pittsburgh. So I'm hoping maybe I can find a, a great conference or a great organization that will bring me into town, and I can speak there, and maybe I can have you come and, and be in the audience. I would love that. And there are some amazing entrepreneurs here in Pittsburgh, so I'd be happy to connect you. Ah, I, lo- I look forward to it. I mean, maybe you know, people are going to start saying, Tom, you have too many Pittsburgh entrepreneurs on the show, but uh, you know, <laughs> I'll cross that path when I get to it. So, Debbie, if people want to find out more information about you, do they just go and look for Ask Dr. G? That would be perfect. AskDrG.com is the best way to reach me. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. And for those of you who tuned in, thanks for sticking with us to the end. As always, we'll be back in a couple of days with another episode where we'll bring you someone cool. In the meantime, go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.